Well, thank you, church, for your ministry in praise. As believers, <clears throat> we have a lot to reflect upon in terms of our soul being well. We think about what Jesus has done for us. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That changes everything. And it's not I, but Christ who lives in me. Otherwise, we would fail miserably. don't know if I've told you lately that I love you, but I love you. I love the church so much. Love you guys. So I think it's, um, I'm certain that it's well with my soul, but it's not very well with my glasses. What I wasn't able to share with you last week, because Easter and Good Friday and all of that was traumatic event where I watched my glasses fall out of my pocket and in slow motion while you're doing no land on the cat dish on the floor and snap in half so that's number reason number 36 to get rid of a cat <laughs> but um I pay dearly at home for that statement, but <laughs> so I, 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 you know, it's it's Good Friday coming, it's Easter, so I race to the optometrist because I think they can fix everything and do anything, and I said I, I need these fixed right away, and the girl says to me, "Well, we can put tape on it," <laughs> and I, I was I said, "Well." well you don't understand, I have to speak in front of a number of people, there'll be a camera that'll probably give close-ups. I don't want to look like one of the Hanson brothers while I'm delivering, <laughs> delivering a, a serious sermon on Good Friday. So can you do something in the next couple of days? Because I thought you could. I said, no, it'll be three weeks. So anyway, to my horror, this morning I was... Uh, trying to clean the uh, multi-layers of fingerprints off, not being vigorous, but I noticed that my Gorilla Glue glob <laughs> is starting to waver, so Kenny has offered his glasses to me if these, don't, if these malfunction during the service. My question to you, though, is that persecution? <laughs> I mean, it was just before Easter, you know, we Christians, we love to throw around the idea that everything bad that happens to us surely must be persecution. We've become professionals at it over the last couple of years, how persecuted we are. Well, in the final summary of Jesus, just Jesus' introduction to his sermon... He talks about the specifics of persecution, narrows it down for us. 
I don't think my glasses falling on the floor just before Easter qualifies as persecution. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please? I'm sure it hasn't escaped you that we are just dealing with Jesus' introduction and it's taken us three sermons. So here we are completing the, the, the uh, Beatitudes. And, and, you know, we'd like to think, we expect that this kind of living that we've been talking about, the poor of spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness, we like to think that, that good things are going to happen to people like that. So we're assuming that as Jesus closes off his introduction, he's going to, he's going to give us some good news. You know, wrapping it up, saying, well, now, and for everyone who's like that, guess what? It's going to go really well for you. And he doesn't say that. He says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, this is the word of God. Father, we pray as we spend some time now hearing from you in your word. You have something to clarify in our hearts this morning. And I pray that we would be open-eared and open-eyed and open-hearted to welcome your truth to us, that it might shape us and change us and transform us, Lord. We come upon passages that we think we've known, that we think we know what there is there, and then we realize that you're poking and prodding at our heart all over again. And there are things that are found wanting. So please help us today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It seems natural to believe that the better you are, the better you'll be treated. That's kind of the way it's expected to work, but not in Christianity. The better Christian you are, it would seem, the more you will be mistreated. So what's the upside to that? Well, for most of us, we'll just have to wait and see. Because most of what this blessing is all about is when we get to be with the Lord in heaven. In the meantime, you'll be persecuted, you'll be insulted, you'll be lied about, you'll be mistreated. That's why entrenching yourself at the very center of a loving church community like this one is absolutely essential to go the journey. So Jesus made it plain when he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I've always wondered about that. I'm sure you have. Why would, why would people hate Jesus? I mean, how in the world can we reconcile that people hate? I mean, he came to save the world, not to condemn it. The world through him might be saved. Why did people hate him? It would seem that people are hardened to their reckless, selfish living. And Jesus came to express something entirely different than that. 
He came to, to call us to righteous living, to self-giving living, something entirely different. And so, you know, as we just sort of recap, as we move out of the Beatitudes into something else uh, in the sermon that he has given, this word blessed, I think, needs to be expressed a little bit so we understand what is really being said here. Blessed are you or blessed are those. What's this blessed word? It's really, oh, the blissful status. It's more of an exclamation. Um, a, a high praise exclamation. Oh, the blissful status of one whose heart is, is firmly embedded in Christ. You know, what, whose God is the Lord, who, who belongs to Jesus, who enjoys the full benefits of the full face of God. Looking at you with his favor. That's what it means. I, I like to think of them as the be longing to Jesus attitudes. The Beatitudes are the be longing to Jesus attitudes. What do I mean by that? Well, this is the introduction of the King's Sermon. We already talked about that, where he sets forth the constitution of the kingdom. The constitution of his kingdom. Now, the, world, the, the nations of this world have constitutions. We have one. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms, our constitution. It's not called a constitution, but it's like a constitution. And Jesus comes to set forth the constitution of the kingdom to repatriate God's kingdom constitution among God's people. Because they'd wandered away from it. Israel had wandered very far away from uh, the real ethics of God. And it's not, it's not entrance requirements into the kingdom because Jesus is already teaching to his disciples. He's saying, you're blessed because it's not an entrance requirement. They're already in. We're already in if we know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not really ethics to emulate. We'll get to ethics later on in the sermon. It's not really ethics to emulate. It's not really a call to do. He doesn't say be poor in spirit. It doesn't say be mournful. It doesn't say be meek. It doesn't say any of that. Rather, it's a description of kingdom citizens. It's, it's that, that are increasingly taking on the identity of the king. That's what this is about. It's not this is, this is um, how you are in or this is what you must do, but rather this is who you are. And this is why you are blessed. Whether you feel like it or whether you look like it if you are in Christ. Because most of the Christian life, or certainly a lot of the Christian life, doesn't look blessed. That's what Jesus is going to teach about at the very end of his, his introduction here. Persecution, insult, slander, all of that. You don't look blessed. You don't feel blessed. That has, not, that has nothing to do with the criterion of whether or not you are blessed. It's whether or not you're in Christ. So... It's really what it means to be entrusted with the conscience of a nation, what it, what it means to live uh, in a nation or to be in a business or to be in a, a school or in a factory or in a church or in a family. You're living out kingdom citizenship, the constitution of the kingdom, the blessed life in Jesus, and, and providing for your environment 
a, a picture, a, a look into the very heart of Christ and who he is. You provide, you become the conscience of the setting that you're in. It sometimes rubs people the wrong way. It bothers them. Kingdom citizens, you see, have embraced the good news of reconciliation with God. Isaiah 61.1 talks about why the Messiah would come. He would come to bring good news, joy in his presence, and a rescue from the enslavement to sin. We just sang about that a few minutes ago, about that. That's what it really means over against those who are religious or otherwise, who are satisfied with the pleasures of this world, this material world and self-righteousness. He sets it in contrast. Jesus has not come to set up a, a kingdom takeover, but rather from the inside of a nation, from the inside of a country, from the inside of a factory or a school, he is growing his kingdom. I mean, if he wanted to set up his kingdom takeover, he already stated just before his crucifixion, hey, I could call 10,000 angels and Rome would be gone like that. That's not what Jesus came to do, nor is it what he's asked us to do. We're not kingdom takeover people. We are the kingdom of Christ within a nation growing in Christ growing the numbers of people in that kingdom. So this contrast, this, this sermon really, the thesis of this sermon is really a contrast about real religion, the kingdom of God religion versus self-religion, kingdom of self, and what had gone awry. He came to reform Israel's religious system and ours. So, You've heard this kind of, of, of terminology before, but it really is about a certain kind of person belonging or behaving in a certain kind of way is going to be treated in a certain manner, and that manner will be persecution. A certain kind of person behaving in a certain kind of way is going to be treated in a certain manner, persecution. And our job this morning from the text is to find out what is that manner of life that brings about persecution? Because it's not just anything. There's a certain way of living that brings persecution that Jesus blesses. That's what we're really look, looking at. That's what we're looking at this morning. In fact, um, you'll notice that in the text that it follows the, the beatitude with respect to peacemakers. I don't think that's an accident because peacemakers are regularly persecuted. Uh, what it takes, what it costs to bring peace. We think of Martin Luther King and the great cost that he endured because hate and prejudice and privilege is usually impossibly entrenched and it's violently guarded. People don't want to give away their, their way of life to... to um, to help someone else, to sacrifice for someone else. And all of this results in real pain and real conflict and real casualties. The conflicting stakes are high. And I would submit to you that there's too much bad stuff done in the name of our faith. 
And that's what was happening at the time that Christ was, was there. There was too much bad stuff happening in the name of God. And there's too much bad stuff happening in the name of Jesus in our day. And Jesus has come to write that, to correct that, to help us to live differently. So I've kind of entitled this section, we just have two points this morning, two points, one in verse 10 and the second in verse 11 and 12, and two points are under the title, The Glories of Persecution. Yes, you heard me right, The Glories of Persecution. Now we all know, or we should know, that there's undeserved persecution and there's deserved persecution. We, we should all also know that there's necessary persecution and there's unnecessary persecution. And we tend to specialize in bringing upon ourselves unnecessary persecution. And Jesus is not asking us to do that ever. This is about a very specific persecution for a very specific reason. We are not to take upon ourselves some sort of martyrdom syndrome and, and wander around, woe is me all the time. Look at how persecuted we are. The vast majority of the persecution that we face, we've brought upon ourselves. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And we desperately need to specialize in getting this right. Because there's too much bad stuff happening in Jesus' name. So the first is this, um, from verse 10, have you picked the right hill to die on? As I said, there's a lot of persecution that does not result in the blessing of God. And I certainly don't want to go through or endure something unnecessarily that's not pleasing my Lord in the first place. Do you? I mean, isn't life, doesn't it have its own challenges and complications? We don't need to bring stuff upon ourselves that we find out ultimately isn't blessed of God. So, what is the right hill? What is the right hill to face persecution on? Because the response that Jesus gives here is if, you pick, if you're on the right hill, you'll be blessed by the Lord. So, what's the right hill? So, it kind of naturally leads, based on the last couple of years, to the question, has the church been under persecution? Well, from the 50,000 mile or 50,000 kilometer, whatever you, you know, floats your boat range, there's always satanic mischief upon the church of Jesus Christ. Always. Satan is always opposed to the building of the church of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the building of the church. So yes, you know, we can concede that there's always, uh, there's always mischief from Satan, but we're talking about direct persecution on the church. Was the church singled out in the past two years globally for persecution? And most of us would be saying, absolutely. Well, let's look at the text get our answer. I think all of us would agree that the church, like many other organizations, has faced the fallout of leadership arrogance, leadership incompetence, um, leadership uh, opportunism, 
leadership over protection by faithless, fearful pagans. I think all of us can concede that we face the fallout of that kind of thing. But are we talking about real persecution that Jesus blesses? I am thankful for Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher of a century ago or roughly less, for the various categories that are not what Jesus is talking about here. Various categories where we face trouble, and we might call it persecution, but it's not really persecution. Not the kind of persecution that Jesus blesses. The first of these is, is it's not persecution when it's based upon being a real piece of work. Now, maybe you have to be older to understand that phraseology. Hey, that person's a real piece of work. He's a real piece of work. You know, like, it's a nice way of saying he's a jerk. Or she's a jerk. Now, you can bring on persecution. You can bring it on yourself if you're an objectionable person. You're a difficult person. You're a foolish person. You're an offensive person belligerent, fanatical, overzealous. Jesus had all of these people in his day, the, the zealots. Jesus didn't go around commending the zealots, saying that the persecution that you're bringing upon yourself, I'm blessing. That's not what happened. Or just being, frankly, a nuisance. I think that, um, you know, a year ago, this week, we had a bunch of people building a platform out in the parking lot to have church outside because we weren't allowed to assemble inside here. Is that persecution? We had to go outside, worship? You know, we've been preaching for years. It's not about the method. It's not about the method. It's about the message. Then suddenly it became about the method. People are going to jail because of the method. We're being so persecuted. What, because we can't sit in our multi-million dollar padded seat building? Do we have any inkling what's going on around the world at all? in terms of persecution. You know, I, as I, you know, I've had two years to reflect. I think there'll probably be books written on this stuff. Um, I don't think I'm gonna write it, but, write one of them, but I think the church was under discipline as the world was. I think the church was under testing. I think all of our hearts and our souls were run through some sober second thinking and and you know some of for some of us the check engine light came on in our heart that's never a good thing i know as i was studying for this uh, that yellow little engine light showed up in my heart
as Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching to me. You know, it's, it's not persecution, it's not about... Jesus isn't blessing persecution because you're a piece of work. And Jesus isn't blessing persecution because you have taken up a partisan cause either. We all have a cause or an agenda. Freedom fighters. We say it's, we're rebels for religion, and, but it's, we're rebels for how we want to do our religion, our way. Some wouldn't have multiple services. You know, and some uh, have taken on a persona of a political position. You know, I remember back in the 70s when I was a younger Christian, and I, I couldn't even imagine how somebody could be a Christian and a Philadelphia Flyer fan. Like, I, I couldn't even reconcile those two things. Like, like, how could that even be so? And then as I grew up, I, I started to think, well, and, and, and don't be offended, but I started, as I grew up, I started to think, like, my grandfather was like a card-carrying conservative, all right? In our family, like, you were, you'd get kicked out of the family if you weren't a card-carrying conservative. I, I was thinking back in those days, you know, how could an NDP be a Christian? Or a liberal? And, and, then, I, and then I watched and, and I realized that over this past couple of years, we have a liberal federal government, if I'm correct or not. We have a conservative Ontario government. We have an NDP British Columbia government. And they're all the same. Did, did anybody notice anything different? In fact, the, in fact, the ultra-conservative province in Alberta were throwing pastors in jail. What, what, like, that would discombobulate my grandfather. He'd be like, what? Christianity's gone awry. Because like, a conservative doing that? No. And so, we have, we have potentially... We are potentially alienating people from the gospel for partisan reasons. Jesus was no member of a party, or nor did he support any parties. We, we become tribal. We've taken on Americanization of the church here in Canada. We never were like that. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones puts forth something pretty... For some, it'll be kind of outrageous to hear, but hear it you will. There is much confusion on this very matter at the present time. He's talking about his time, which, what, 60, 70 years ago? Much talk, which appears to be, is said to be Christian in its denunciation of certain things that are happening in the world is, I believe, nothing but the expression of political prejudices. My desire is that we might all be saved from this serious and sad misrepresentation of the Scripture, which may lead to such needless and unnecessary suffering. 
Another great danger in these days is that this pure Christian faith should be thought of by those who are outside in terms of certain political and social views. They are eternally distinct and have nothing to do with one another. Tell us what you really think, Jones. Let me illustrate this. The Christian faith as such is not anti-communism. Yikes. And I trust that none of us will be foolish enough and ignorant enough to allow the Roman Catholic Church or any other interest to delude and mislead us. As Christians, we are to be concerned for the souls of communists and their salvation in exactly the same way as we are concerned about all other people. And if once we give them the impression that Christianity is just anti-communism, we are ourselves shutting and barring the doors and almost preventing them from listening to our gospel message of salvation. Let us be very careful, Christian people, and take the words of Scripture as they are. Now, you know what the issues of his day was, communism. We have our own issues today. Are we barring people by our partisan positions from the gospel or from even being willing to hear the gospel? It's not, by the way, it's not even for being good. This persecution that we're talking about here is not even persecution for being good, for being noble or self-sacrificing, which, by the way, most of the time you aren't persecuted for any of that. Not many philanthropists are being persecuted. So why was Jesus persecuted? It wasn't for any of that. It wasn't because he was a jerk, that's for sure. And it wasn't because he was partisan. It wasn't even because he was good. The text tells us what it is. It was because he was righteous. That's it. That's all there is. It's about being righteous. Because of his righteousness and because of our righteousness, he's saying blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. What is righteousness? It's living the right way of God, even when it costs you. It's loving your enemy. It's turning the other. It's, it's an entirely, we'll, we'll see the ethics to come, but it's an entirely different way of living. And it doesn't so much bring people to be angry at you when they see you live this way as it causes their soul to become undone. That's the difference. When they looked at Jesus, when they saw how Jesus was living, it wasn't that they became so angry about him as their souls were so opened on open book before the living God that they became undone. Get him away from me. Remember what Peter said, Lord, I am a man of sin. Get, get away, Isaiah. Oh, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. Righteousness causes people to become undone. When they see good people, they say, I could be good. I could be partisan. I can be a jerk with the rest of them. But righteous? Ah, that changes everything. And that, that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Living righteously. Calling wickedness, wickedness. Calling it out. Calling what's going on in our public school systems what it really is. Sex trafficking being brought right into the school. When you... When you sexualize 
grade three and under, you are sex trafficking those children. That's, that's what righteousness is. It, it calls out wickedness. And by the way, people don't like it. People get very hostile about it. The reality of this is you are present citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, he says. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It, it establishes who you are, who you belong to. You're a citizen of the kingdom. Not because you're good, not because you're partisan. Certainly not the other reasons. But this kind of righteousness, which comes only from Christ, establishes that you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. He, Jesus made their righteousness look fil like filthy rags. That's what real righteousness does. Now, we need to understand that, that when we get a picture of Jesus, we need to realize that Jesus was not admired and applauded by the masses. He was hated, taken to a cross and crucified, not because he was a bad person, not because he was a jerk, but because he was righteous. And this world hates righteousness. You will be persecuted for it. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. I mean, that might say at least that you're not a jerk, but it also might say that you're not righteous either. Because righteous people are never spoken well of by everybody. They aren't. It's not possible. So that's Jesus talking about how you live, but now he's talking about for who you belong. Notice what he says, blessed are you. He draws it in now, the disciples. By the way, there was a crowd gathering listening to the sermon, but the sermon was for his disciples. It's a constitutional statement to his disciples. But by the time we get to the end of seven, we realize that there's a crowd drawn in here. They're listening. But now Jesus looks right at his disciples. He eyeballs each of them. And he says, this, blessed are you, okay? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, those people over there are persecuted. Isn't it horrible? Isn't it awful? I mean, you feel so sad for them, you know, those living in hardship places in the world. It, it, and Jesus looks them in the eyeballs and says, blessed are you. Because they're going to insult you. They're going to falsely slander you. They're going to persecute you. Say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Have you... Calvary embraced what being abused because of Jesus really means to you? Have you thought this through? Have you thought through, I mean, anybody here ever been slandered? Been mistreated? Been lied about? Been um, just because you are a Jesus people? Because that that's what this is about. And, and what's the response that we're supposed to have? Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> what? Like this glad is, by the way, um, leap for joy. What? At being insulted, at being slandered, at being spoken of in all kinds of, with all kinds of evil? Yes, Jesus. By the way, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't, oh, it'd be nice for a few of you if you, you could rejoice about these insults and all this. This is actually a command. Jesus says, command form, rejoice and be glad. Now, I need to know why Jesus would tell me and tell you to rejoice and jump for joy when we are 
insulted and persecuted and falsely, uh, falsely uh, things are stated falsely, all kinds of evil about us. We're, we're supposed to rejoice and be glad, Jesus, I need to know why. Let me give you four quick reasons from the text why. The first is this, your conscience is clear. When you are living righteously before Jesus and are insulted just because you belong to him, not because you're being acting up or not because you've done something wrong or you've broken the law or whatever like that, but you're being persecuted just because you belong to Jesus, your conscience is clear and clean. Listen, in 35 years of preaching, I've had a few people disagree with me. I've had a few people slander me or say all kinds of, uh, of things about me and all of that. I can tell you that as long as I'm being maligned for speaking the truth of the word of God, I have a clear conscience. If it's from bad behavior or because I've treated someone badly or anything like that, no, no of course not. I deserve that persecution. But if it's because of the Lord, I have a clear conscience. That's what Peter taught in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, a verse that we're pretty familiar with, 15 and 16. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So first, for a clear conscience. But second, because you're in good company. See what Jesus says here? For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, you're in good company. The prophets who called people back from idolatry to the living God, the prophets who, who called out uh, immoral living and immoral behavior, who called out the faithless who were living and serving false gods, you're in that company. I don't know, have any of you ever checked on, on Jeremiah's, uh, Prophet Jeremiah's resume lately? We sure find out why he was called the weeping prophet. Let me give you just a quick summary of, of Jeremiah's resume. In Jeremiah 20, verses 1 and 2, the temple chief had him beaten and put in stocks. In chapter 26, his own people, now his own people, tried to have him executed. In chapter 36, the scroll that he had written, that God had given him, they had painstakingly written this scroll, and he didn't run it through a photocopier, he had no copy of it, was burned by the king who allegedly himself was a follower of God. And then he was thrown in a well and left to die. In chapter 43, he was accused of lying by those who, who sought out his counsel. Hey, come and tell us something, Jeremiah. Oh, you're lying, go away. It's, it's like, you called me. He was a foreshadow of Christ, who himself would be maligned, mistreated. You're in good company. Thirdly, these words, these three words really leapt out at me. Because of me, at the end of verse 11. You are being mistreated just because you are being identified with Jesus. For no other reason than you are a Jesus person. 
This harmful behavior is because you are a Jesus people. And Jesus is saying, you, this is confirming who you are. That you're being maligned and insulted just because you belong to me confirms who you are. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be identified with Jesus. And I don't say that too quickly or lightly or tritely because those who will be identified with Jesus are going to face the treatment that Jesus faced. I can remember back in the days in high school where I didn't really want to be identified with Jesus to my shame. And I remember those days. I remember those days of not doing bad things but not giving Jesus the credit for why I was living the way I was living because I really didn't want to be hassled and harassed for Jesus. What blessing I lost out in. What blessing I lost out in. And the fourth is, is the fourth reason he says rejoice and be glad is because great is your reward in heaven. Beloved, look at some of you are going through hard times, going through difficult waters. Some of you are going through hassles and harassment, and some of you will yet. And in some cases, there will not be any resolution to this, on this in this world. It's going to have to wait till eternity. But Jesus says, why can you rejoice? Why must you rejoice and jump for joy? If you get it in your mind, if you understand what you are doing, how you are living, that your conscience is clear, that you're in good company with the prophets before, that you've identified with Christ, and great is your reward in heaven, if you understand that that's all yours, you won't be able to stop yourself from jumping for joy. It will come to you. That's what you will do. Because in the cases of many of us, false accus accusations will always leave a cloud of doubt around people. They always will. Even if you're exonerated, even if there isn't a lick of truth to it, it will leave a cloud. And it will have to be settled in glory. But it will be. So rejoice and jump for joy. Steve, at... at I couldn't have already, already pretty much had this sermon ready to go, but when you stated on Thursday that the verse Romans 8, 18 meant so much to you, that these light and momentary afflictions are gaining for us an eternal weight of glory that is yet to be revealed to us, Romans 8, 18. Paul got it. And Jesus wants us to get it. That we were made to live out this life with all of its hardships and all of its hate and all of its persecution for righteousness' sake. We were meant to live this life out. But we were never ever to think that this world would reward us for it or that we would have things necessarily settled here. We were always made to have the long look the look of glory that these light and momentary afflictions are gaining for us an eternal weight of glory that is to be revealed to us on that day. Beloved, these are, this is specific persecution. 
Persecution for righteousness living. Persecution just because you belong to Jesus. That's persecution. All the rest is annoying, uncomfortable. It's not persecution. Our Father, thank you so much for your truth to us today. Oh God, we love you. We know you love us. We know you've told us that we, the more we act like Jesus, the more we'll be treated like him. And we're not to be surprised about this, and we're to, we're to allow ourselves to embrace the blessing of that, that we have the full face favor of God. And our rewards settled in heaven. Lord, I pray that we might live to bring you joy. And that we might truly take up the command to rejoice and be exceedingly glad when we are facing persecution, harassment, hassles, hurt, just for the name of Jesus. The disciples counted, they're amazed that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name what a transformation took place in them. Lord, cause that transformation to take place in us, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want us to be certain that we understand that I'm taking a big picture look at things today. I'm not suggesting that there weren't individual situations where there was indeed persecution of we're taking a righteous stand of some sort. That's going to take place. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's going to take place all the time in our lives. But I think this was an opportunity for all of us to have a heart check and make certain that we weren't relying and depending upon the wrong things and saying we were persecuted from not being able to have our idols versus persecuted because of righteousness or Jesus' sake. There's a difference, and Christ makes it plain here. So we need to ask ourselves the questions, why do I do what I do? Why do I say what I say? Why do I live the way I live? Is it for Jesus? Is it about righteousness? Well, you will be persecuted and you will be hassled, but you will be blessed. That's the promise of Christ. Father, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for the, the, the powerful word coming from this introduction of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus coaching us, helping us, giving us the constitution of the kingdom citizens. Oh Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you may work on our hearts individually. What is this message saying to me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.